Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and today I am joined by my friend Bobby Finger, who I've known for a long time and who has written a book. Bobby is <laughs> I a writer. Wrote a book. Yeah, you did. Uh, Bobby is a writer and co-host of the popular celebrity and entertainment podcast, Who Weekly. A Texas native, he lives in Brooklyn, New York, and The Old Place is his debut novel. Bobby, is. all that's congrats. true. Yeah. So Thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot right away. <laughs> Ten years ago, I saw you at a party. You did, and the that topic... sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> that the question. Right. How did you feel? Ten years about ago, that? I did go to more parties. Okay, yes. Go on. <laughs> And the topic of favorite movies came up. And I absolutely remember you telling me that your favorite movie is Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's still up there. Which leads, which led me to believe, which led me to not be surprised by the subject matter <laughs> of your debut novel. You, you uh -huh. kind of have this, you're a young man and you have an affinity for retirees and other people who are much older than you. Yeah, that's, it, that is the case. And I I have to say, I made this decision. I rewatched The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel and The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, which didn't exist when we had that conversation. Um, over the past year, I rewatched them. I watched them like pretty regularly, maybe once a year, once every other year. And I have decided that the second one is better. I oh my prefer gosh. the second one. I prefer the second one for reasons that belong on a movie podcast, not a book podcast. But if you haven't seen the second one, it's a superior movie. <gasps> earth yes, shattering. <laughs> earth shattering news. Yeah. So I have, in a way, I haven't changed in 10 years and I've sort of changed in 10 years. <laughs> you have, I mean, you have an entirely different career path. You're mm -hmm. a podcaster slash author. Mm -hmm. I have my question for you, which I don't want you to answer. Okay. Is how many people have already asked you which characters in your novel are whose? Answer the a, a number, not the yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, many people. Actually, not as many as maybe you think, but many pe people who read it. People who've read it and listened, like the Venn diagram of people who've read it and people who listen to the podcast have asked that question, but not people who haven't read it. So the, the number's kind of small because it's just not out yet. So it's just the people who've like read the galleys and happen to listen to Who Weekly. But they're, yeah, they're, they're for thems in the book and then everyone else is a who. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I'm going to see mm -hmm. if my matchup later. I won't. I won't. Yeah. Um, at least two, at least two of them. <laughs> now um, I don't know, actually. <laughs> and I do have to say, again, because because your podcast is so popular um, and captures such a great part of your personality, the the fact that this novel doesn't really talk about celebrity that much doesn't really pander to your listeners it's mm -hmm. like a whole other experience tell me mm -hmm. about that I would like to say that that was like very much by design but I think it was just maybe more by necessity kind of like mm -hmm. subconscious mm -hmm. or inadvertent necessity because I 
I wrote this sort of as a distraction for myself, like from all sorts of things. Like it, it's very easy to say I wrote this because I did write it at, at the beginning of um, the pandemic and it existed in other forms. So it was like a very like fleshed out story in my head and on, on paper, not as a manuscript at all. But I wrote it when I was deliberately trying to think of everything else but what I was living through. So I think that might be why I didn't even, I don't even pepper in, you know, like when she's at the grocery store, she doesn't even glance at the tabloids. Like I never really thought about that now until you're mentioning it, but it's, it, there, there's none, there's none. And I think the reason why is because I was trying to ignore kind of everything else that was kind of normal, all the routines that were being disrupted and all the routines that weren't being disrupted, just like I wanted to create some other completely new space you know, I love a new place, that- so to say, so to speak. <laughs> ah, that's, that's yeah. the next book, I assume. Yeah, um, uh, yeah uh-huh. for sure. So, so tell me a little bit about the town of Billington, Texas, where this book takes place. And you might say, yes, that it is in fact a character in the novel. Yes. Um, the town Billington is based off of is based on the town where I grew up until I was a teenager we moved to San Antonio Texas right before I went to high school and until then we lived in a small town just west of San Antonio which is exactly where I placed Billington like the it's geographically physically like the 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 structure of the town where the main roads are the one street light all of that I'm pulling directly from this town where I grew up which is Deannis Texas and I think, I think the reason I didn't just call it that, like there was a part, one of, one of my favorite edits when it was in maybe the second round of revisions, because it wasn't from my editor. I think it came from like a copy editor, not my actual editor. And I was describing the Cracker Barrel. It's in the first chapter. I was describing <laughs> the Cracker, like the gift shop at the front, the food, like the way that everything looks. That's what I was describing. And I didn't say Cracker Barrel. And at one point the note was like, is this a Cracker Barrel? I think it's a Cracker Barrel. Just call it the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and I I didn't call, it is the Hennis. I didn't call it the Hennis. And I think that's because I, again, I'm, I'm doing all this in retrospect, all this thinking, like, I think I didn't call it that because I didn't want, it's not an autobiographical story and the people aren't real people. So I was like, I need to distance myself a little bit, but that's what it is. It's Dennis. And so the town is just, you know, it's part of my family. It's part of who I am, you know, to be kind of cliche and boring, but it's just the place where I grew up. Um, And it's real and it's very vivid to me. So it was kind of an easy place for me to set this novel. Did you go back to research this book? Oh, no, 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 no. I couldn't. I couldn't. Um, right, right. It was COVID. Time. So yeah, I, I, what I did though do when I was kind of peppering in more research was I read someone in my family. It's, it's a distant finger, <laughs> not in the <laughs> nuclear fingers, not of the five fingers, which are my uh-huh. family, um, wrote a history of the Hennes, kind of like this old man in my family who was like, I think like a distant cousin of my dad. I've only met him once, but he self-published this history of the town and my dad gave me one of a, a copy not long like the last time I saw my parents before the pandemic which was actually like the first week of March 2020 
And so I had that as a reference. And then I also, when I was able to visit my family during the pandemic, after like a year and a half, they have this really big um, hard bound, I think maybe, I don't know, a few hundred copies are made, but it looks like a volume of an encyclopedia. It's huge. And my grandmother, my dad's mom, was one of the people who worked on that. It's huge. It's like a thousand pages and it's the history of the county where I'm from. And so I had like some research of this town and like of like the indigenous people who lived there before, you know, the Germans like flew in, like of all of the the major fires and the floods that happened, like how the school worked. So I didn't necessarily, I don't really reference those things specifically, save for a few, a few moments, but most of it is just from my memory, really. I love it. And, and I think one of the, when I think about my hometown, which wasn't that small, of course, and wasn't in Texas, but um, I, I think that a lot of people I know who have moved to a big city um, from a smaller place mm-hmm. um, kind of had these dreams about moving away from where they are and reinventing themselves mm-hmm. um and you can kind of see that the characters in in this novel for the most part haven't had the chance yeah yeah do that and i and i love i've always liked story and you don't have to be from a small town to love that kind of story you you, you can just be maybe from a city that's not Chicago or New York or Los Angeles mm-hmm, or Seattle or mm-hmm. something, you know, and the suburbs and you can want to escape or just a place where you don't feel like you can be your full self. And I love stories like that. that that's a million stories are about people who escape, you know, the um, oppressive or just inadequate places that they're from. I don't want to make every place seem traumatic because every place is not traumatic, but I love those stories, but I also wanted to tell the story of the people that you leave behind, you know, like after you get to go and live your big life that you have, have always wanted, like, what about everyone? What, what happened? Like, how did that reverberate among the people who are still there, who maybe aren't villains in your story, you know, like who loved you. And, and I think that that, that's, that's a, that's a perspective that I wanted to tell in this, which is why there's not much New York in it. I, I appreciate that, but I also, I, I appreciate that you portray these characters so lovingly, uh, given that, yes, my first in- instinct is to uh, laugh at everyone <laughs> I know from New Jersey, which is not a cool thing to do, um, and b- b- but you're so generous with with all of the people in, in the novels. Yeah, I, I, and that took a long time. I mean, that took a long time. I think I I don't think I could have. Number one, I didn't want to. I couldn't have written this when I was twenty one for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's like the short way of putting it. I, it took me a very long time to figure out how I felt about where I'm from. And so for a long time, I was ashamed of it. Like, I didn't want to tell anyone, you know, because it's just like, it was when I'm trying to meet new people and make friends, which is hard enough when you're 13, 14, 15, you know, it it sucks at any point in time. But 
if you, I felt as though if I brought that up, it would paint this picture of me, you know, based on like whatever they thought about people from small towns. And I didn't, I didn't want to give them any sort of like foundation. I just wanted to start all fresh. And that requires like leaving stuff out. And that's also not healthy, you know, like leaving all that out was not, I understand why I did it. And I think I would probably do it again. I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I understand why I did it, but I think also I had to evolve and like grow up essentially and realize that even though I don't ever want to live there again, it, it's a part of me and it's a part of my family. And like, I have to respect it. Like I have grown to respect this place a lot, a lot more, you know, since I was 14 years old. And I, I think that leads us uh, into a discussion then of, of the main character, mm -hmm. um, Mary Alice Roth, who I can't imagine a first impulse to love her and to want to mm -hmm. care for her and protect her. Yeah. Um, before we before we get into that, tell us a little bit about Mary Alice. Mary Alice is a ornery 65-year-old woman who has been a math teacher since she first got a job after college. And she would have been a math teacher until she croaked in the classroom, but the school district decided that she had to retire. They kind of forced her out. She's got great, you know, she was grandfathered into very good teacher retirement, like a pension plan for the teacher. So she's quite like, she's comfortable enough. She has no wants in terms of like, you know, the foundational things that you need, but she's miserable because this is the first time in her life that she hasn't been an authority figure, that she doesn't have something to do. And so the novel opens when it's the first week of school. And this is the first time she's ever lived through the first week of school in her adult life and not gone to school. And she doesn't know what to do. And in advance of this, she has started to like rekindle her friendship with her, I would say former best friend, but best friend, Ellie, who lives next door because she kind of realized she's gonna need something to do. So now she has this morning ritual where her friend comes over and they have coffee and they chat every morning. And she's just sort of drifting through this stage of her life, not knowing what to do. And fortunately, it's set during a very consequential week in her life. So yes. there's plenty to do in that week. Her sister comes and brings some some news. I guess I'll say that. There you go. <laughs> Tell me about the coffee. Because I, I, I love all of the details in this book. But um, this is not blue bottle coffee. <laughs> no, it's Folgers. You know, it's Maxwell House. It's a tub that she gets as big as possible, as cheaply as possible. And I just love, I mean, I love coffee generally. I think coffee is great. I love coffee as a, I mean, I need it physically because if I don't have coffee, sure. I will get a headache, right? Like it's an addiction. We're it's addicted. A drug. Okay, so yeah. yeah, I'm addicted to this drug. And, um, <laughs> and I need it every day. And sometimes I drink too much and I can't sleep. But I think for Mary Alice, it's that. It's obviously a drug. She's addicted to it. But it's also this routine it's it's order in her life and i think it's a in addition to being a way for her to reconnect with ellie because it's this thing they have a lot in common they're from they live in the same town they live on the same street their sons are both gone you know they, they've lost their husbands in some way ellie's 
is a divorce and Mary Alice is widowed, but it's just another thing that they have in common. They like coffee. And I just wanted this, this ritual to be the, like the, the framework for their friendship, like this easy way in, right. We're already doing this anyway. Like, and also Mary Alice just wants to control stuff and coffee in the morning is a very easy thing to be in control of. Right. It adds like this opening order to your day. Um, yeah. And yeah. also it's, there's something really, you know, there's something really biting and like intense and intimidating about someone who drinks hot black coffee every single day and they live <laughs> yes. in hot Texas, you know, like they live in the middle of Texas and it's hot all the time and they're still drinking hot coffee on their porch, you know, like it, it makes her even more threatening kind of in a way. That, that is terrifying. <laughs> Um, (laughs) and so talk a little bit about mary alice's path to becoming kind of the woman she is in terms of you go back and describe uh some of her childhood she never really fit in that well when she was a kid and then all of a sudden we we start with her in this place of like people have to kiss the rain basically yeah yeah totally and because that's where she's found being in that position has given her something to do really I think it's as simple as Mm -hmm. it gives her a reason to to keep on living and and I like in a, in a literal sense. And so, mm-hmm. because she's like very, very unhappy and early on, and I know like a, a suicide trigger warning, I'm sure, but like early on, she makes a joke about suicide and Ellie is like, don't do that, please. And for, for a number of reasons, a part of that is like, I, I know that you're unhappy, please let, let, let's not make light of this. And being that sort of kiss the ring character, being like the, the Pope in the town gives her satisfaction that she can't find anywhere else because she's kind of ruined the opportunity to find satisfaction anywhere else or that's what she thinks so much of mary alice's life is regretting things Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and being upset about the way she handled things and feeling like people have abandoned her she's abandoned other people and in this period of her life she's figuring out that slowly 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 that all is not lost and that some things are still in her control like her life is in her control. She thinks the only thing she can control are people at the annual picnic, right? Telling people yeah, what to cook, yeah, you know, yeah. telling people how to make their coffee, telling her sister like how to cook the bacon or whatever it is. But really she can control so much more than she wants to acknowledge that she can. But it's it's hard on her, I guess, psyche to admit that or acknowledge that to herself. Bobby, tell me about spending that time in Mary Alice's psyche like how how do you put yourself there what I, I don't know uh, you tell me I think it's it's easy and I think this is I have to work backwards when I'm like when you brought up the best exotic Marvel hotel and I love the Golden Girls. Someone brought that up. And I had never considered like the connection between me loving the Golden Girls and me writing a book about older women until someone said it to me like two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, duh, I'm an idiot. But the, a lot of, I think the reason I am very, I guess, at home 
writing about people that age is because I'm this is me. I'm trying to figure this out. This could be bullshit. I don't know. Ooh, I'm trying to figure okay, myself no, out. Right? I, I love but this. I think I think one of the reasons is I'm a very uh nervous and anxious person. And I think I'm I have like like my issues with mortality sort of manifest in like extreme hypochondria and like being convinced that I'm gonna die tomorrow, you know? And so there is there is a sort of um it's a coping mechanism, right? There's a coping mechanism involved there where it's like, if I can write these people and if I can like write them as honestly as I can and empathize them, empathize with them and like understand them as deeply as possible, then like I've lived to be that old or like I can, I can picture myself that old. So I can sort of like push my own fears of death, <laughs> like not just death, but imminent death, like a little bit further away. It makes me feel better about like myself. And so it's very easy for me to like imagine what it's like to be that age, you know? So it's, or it's, it's difficult, but I like doing it is what it is. I like doing it. I, I, it, it gives me hope for myself, I guess. There's no way to talk. Like it's, this is, this is the thing. Like, this is not an autobiographical book, but like, right. In a sense, the, it, it is like so many books. Right. But absolutely. Does that answer I your mean, question? Yes, it does. I mean, okay. I, but please continue to figure this out as as we go along or as you promote <laughs> <Okay>. this book. <laughs> I I also wonder about and and tell me if this is getting too far into it and mm -hmm. I don't want to spoil anything. Um but Mary Alice is not a let's say Mary Alice is not a progressive kind of person. No, no, she's not. And how, scratch that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you and Lindsay do that every now and then? Oh, all the time, all okay. the time. We record okay. for two hours and cut it down to an hour. <laughs> like <laughs> there's plenty of that. Um, let's move on to Ellie a little bit more because Ellie, um, is a nurse. Mm -hmm. She seems to have, even though she has a family structure, very similar to Mary Alice's, she seems mm -hmm. to have a better grip on things. Yeah, and I, I wanted. No one in no one in my family is is a nurse, but um, both of my parents are teachers, so I felt very comfortable like writing teachers as like my you know protagonist. I feel like I understand their whole vibe. Um, I wanted to make Ellie a nurse because I want I didn't want her to work in town. I wanted her to have that distance from town. I wanted her to work one town over, and there are no urgent care clinics. There are no hospitals in right. Billington, you have to go to Trevino. And it's just another way for her because she and Mary Alice are about the same age, but she's still employed, she can't retire. And so she still has this structure and very long hours. And she has that, she has the distractions, the professional distractions that Ellie doesn't have. And she's also mourning her son in a different way, you know, in a more, I think, um, in a more intense way. 
Um, and I wanted her to be this person that the kind of friend that you could reconnect with extremely easily. Um, and the only person, because they are so close, because they share this bond in their, in their sons, the only person who can kind of call Mary Alice out on her bullshit, so to speak. I like, and, and I think that people who are in medicine who deal with that sort of stuff every day are like mm. the perfect characters to sort of not take it from anyone. When it's like, I, when you see what I see every day, when you deal with the people I deal with every day, I'm not intimidated by this old lady and her threats of potato salad, you know, like it's, um, she, I, I had to work back. Like she was not, she did not come as, as vividly as Mary Alice. I had to kind of work backwards from Mary Alice. And it, it, like, you know, like Ellie doesn't exist without her, but it also she doesn't really exist without, she can't exist in a vacuum either. But yeah, she, she, she was a, she was sort of, um, she came second. <laughs> Fair. Um, and she also serves as a really good counterpoint to Josie, who mm -hmm. is kind of like, Josie was my way in. Um, yeah. <laughs> for all of us city folk who, <laughs> yeah. who, who need their hands held, um, Josie was born and raised in New York City. Mm -hmm. And she moves to Billington. And aside from some great interpersonal conflict with Mary Alice, I'd say, <laughs> she mostly loves it there and her backyard. Yeah. Her, her, the ground yeah. in her backyard. Yeah, and I wanted... She moves to Billington because she meets her husband in New York City. They go to the same college. They meet there and he thinks he's going to be a city boy forever. And, you know, circumstances bring him back home and she is willing to go back because she wants to change. She's grow, She's never left New York, essentially. And I really wanted to, he's the type of smarty guy with, you know, the more well-to-do parents in Billington. They have a lot of money and because they have a lot of money, they have a lot of land. And because they have a lot of land, they live kind of outside um, of everyone else in town they are they're very isolated on their little compound and I wanted Josie to be like you know what I could just build a house 15 miles out of town away from everyone and like build my perfect Chip and Joanna Gaines shiplap house but I want to like I want to give this an honest try and so I, I wanted to put her in town so that she had to deal with people you know like in a way she's kind of fetishizing them she's romanticizing this like small town life only to very quickly discover that it's not at all what she expected. And in many ways, it's like, it's not that different from living in a city. It's about, it, it's, it has less to do with the fact that it's a small town and more to do with the fact that it's just change. It's just something new. And I think that that's something that all of, she and Mariella specifically are going through in this book, like just dealing with change after a long period of, you know, established routine and, and living. Yeah, and and we should mention, of course, that Josie takes Mary Alice's old Job. position mm -hmm. at at school, and um, that doesn't sit well. No. <laughs> let's let's put, no. it, put it like that. <laughs> um, and not only is Josie going to live in this town and work in this town and try to build a below ground pool in this town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
gives the neighbor something to talk about. Mm -hmm. She also gets involved in extracurriculars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And this is where, this is where the potato salad comes in. And I'm, I mean, I feel like it's like a, a little tagline to so much of this book and probably your promotion of it. But like, I do, please talk about it because one, I I think one of the things that I didn't understand um, Mm -hmm. is that even in Texas where there's more space, (laughs) you don't have room necessarily to to make the kind of potato salad that uh, Mary Mm -hmm. Alice demands. You need to bring a lot of cooks into the kitchen. A lot of people have to come together to make enough potato salad um, for this church picnic. Yeah, I, I the potato salad is. I just remember it was never it was never dramatic. It was never nasty as I can recall. But I do this. There is a church picnic that happened in the town where I grew up every year, and people and the men and the women had to come together and make everything um, that is sold. My dad worked on the meat. My mom worked on the sides, usually a potato salad. I just remember it being so intricate. And one time I walked in to the room where all of the women were kind of like collecting themselves early in the morning and bringing everything together. And it was just so stinky and hot and kind of disgusting. It was all this food that I love, but in large quantities, I was like, this is so gross. And everyone seemed so stressed out. And I... I thought it would just be a great kind of backdrop to to everything that's going on because it's such a it's it is one of those small town things that really has no equal in a city. And I would always I was struck by like when I moved to San Antonio and even in New York, like when there are those sorts of like potluck, like kind of not um, personal, but sort of like. Uh, community potlucks those sorts of things that exist if it's at school or if it's like through your job Mm -hmm. or something it never quite has the same vibe as like a small town church affiliated thing where it really is like the only thing in town like it's this it almost seems antiquated at this point it's like we're still doing this but they're doing it because of tradition they're doing it because what else is there to do and I just love her thinking that again maybe in a book this sounds like a lot of fun but in real life it's not fun at all it actually really sucks and maybe small town life isn't as leisurely as she expected so that's what the potato salad is she gets the worst possible job which is potato salad because it's just so so much chopping so much getting the temperatures right so much like nasty mayonnaise sloshing around so um yeah she gets she's in for a rude awakening when she uh decides to be a good person and volunteer <laughs> yeah and 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 for Mary Alice, it's kind of the opposite, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's as you were just saying, the picnic is always a big event. It's it's mm-hmm. always a massive thing. But this year, <laughs> without a job, mm-hmm. Mary Alice needs this. Exactly. It's like the, it's it's in a way like the one thing she has left in town. It's her it's the one thing that connects her back to the community as a whole, or at least she thinks it is Mm -hmm. because she doesn't have school anymore. And by not having school, she doesn't have any of those like sort of, I don't know, incidental connections to parents and, you know, the 
siblings and the her coworkers. Like she doesn't have any of those connections anymore. And the only way that she can assert her authority at this point in her life is via this annual town picnic. So it's truly one week in the year. And so she's really, she's going hard this time. Because it's not hard. like this is, it's not like this is a weekly meeting and a monthly meeting. This is it. It's this week and we're done. And so she's especially brutal this year and she's especially mean and 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 there's a scene when they have their first planning meeting and Josie is experiencing her fury for the first time and everyone's sort of being which is a trend in town everyone's being very forgiving of her they feel really bad for this woman and so they're just like ah brush it off she's mean it's okay like she's been through it just deal with her and that's in a way they all they all enable her and they've enabled her for a really long time by not calling her out on her kind of terrible behavior. And and yet what an act of kindness. Yeah, yes, yes. Mary Alice, um, we learn how Mary Alice's husband died. Um, mm -hmm. But what we know from the beginning and, and the, something that kind of sits over the rest of the book is mm -hmm. that she knows about grief she yes this is part of her identity mm -hmm. yeah um i i, I wonder there, i i'm not going to be able to find it there's a line like oh you know the moment she realizes that he is gone mm -hmm. um she will be a widow and this is going to be a thing that defines forever the, yeah forever mm -hmm. and i guess i guess the question is then how do you you cannot you're not expected to move on mm -hmm. from, from from that kind of grief but you are still expected to live a life yeah yeah and it's exactly and it's the expectation she she sort of she's sort of doing this to herself in a way yes it's like it's culture it's everyone that she every sort of authority figure in her childhood has sort of told her that this is the way to live and this is the way to be and she's a really smart person she understands that and i think that adds to sort of the the sadness there because she knows that she doesn't have to keep living life as uh has been sort of forced into her pressured into her by like all these external forces you know in society in this town and yet she's choosing to anyway because it's a little easier and that's sort of what she has to learn throughout this novel it's like no she can she can make these big decisions about her life and sort of question her own I don't know uh ethics morals like aspirations as she goes like she's a she is a living document and it's taking her a very long time to realize that because in her mind, like she's, she's pen on paper, can't be erased, can't be changed. And um, it, it's, it's something that's hard for her to, to change. Oh. Well, I, I'm stealing this from, from Goodreads because I saw okay. someone oh, no, on Goodreads. Not Goodreads. Yes. Not Goodreads. No, 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 no. I I, I, I'm, <laughs> I would always warn you not to look, but I looked and there was something that resonated with me. She's got a little bit of Olive Kitteridge in her. Um, yes. And thank you for bringing her into the world. 
Um, before we go, Bobby, please recommend some books for us. Okay. Um, I was thinking about, this was in the email, it's like some books. And so I was thinking of just some, some recent ones that I've read. I recently went on vacation. So I just did a lot of reading, um, over the past couple of weeks, which was, means it was great vacation. Another Texas book, which I have to recommend because I, I don't know. I mean this, I mean this in the kindness of, in the kindness way, but just like, I think it would be a great thing to read before or after the old place. Cause it's like another Texas novel about a family, but this is, whereas the old place is about like, just very much like a nuclear family and their direct neighbors. It's Parish by Latoya Watkins. And have you read Parish? It's just like, it's, yet. it's, it's a, it's multi-generational. It is, it is about, it's, I mean, I think technically they would say, oh, it's about generational trauma, which it is, but that just almost like oversimplifies what's going on in Parish. And I think it's just so moving and beautiful and it gets at family relationships, specifically ones like it understands how how everything in the family reverberates across the family, even if you don't have this like extremely close relationship with them, you know? So it's like this family in this small town in Texas and they moved around the country, around the state, and yet they will never escape the repercussions of, you know, what has gone on in this family in the past. And I think it was just incredible. Um, what else did I read recently that I loved? Um, I loved Easy Beauty, a memoir. I'm not a big, um, I'm not a big, by Chloe Cooper Jones, I'm not a big memoir person unless it's a celebrity memoir. So it was actually kind of strange that I read this memoir because I don't really read. I read Isaac's Dirtbag, Massachusetts, that and Easy Beauty, two kind of layperson memoirs, which is a genre I'm not super into. I'm just like typically celebrity or bust. And it made me realize like, these are so much, there's so much more to learn when they're normal people. And I, <laughs> and Easy Beauty is just like one of the wisest and most incredible things I've read in a very long time. Like the sort of thing where you're just like, I have to buy a copy for everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I loved that book. And then moving away from new stuff, I really want to recommend after I let a friend of mine read The Old Place for the first time, he asked me if I'd ever read James Wilcox novels, and I hadn't. Have you ever read James Wilcox? Yes, and I read... Modern oh. Baptist, maybe? Modern Baptist. Modern Baptist, that's the first one. And he is a, uh, a novelist who was very prolific in the late 80s and 90s, and he wrote a bunch of stories about this fictional town called Tula Springs. And my friend said, have you ever read James Wilcox? He has all these novels set in this town. And I said, no, I've never heard of him. And it was one of those things where I read Modern Baptist and then I just like instantly read all the other ones. Like I just like went to, what is it, A books and just got all these used books. So so many of them are out of print and then yeah. just read all of these stories from this town and they're just so lush and funny and weird. Um, some are very, very weird. And I've just had a blast going through all of them. I love when you like find an author or like a series that you've never heard of and you have like, the back catalog's all there. And it's just like, this is great. I can just like go through all of it. So those are my recommendations, those three books. Um, well, two that. books and this series. Yeah. Love Bye. a small town yarn. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. The Old Place, it's out now. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.